0: Hey, so morning everybody. How are we all doing? Good, one person's good, that's, that's nice to hear. Um, but yeah, I hope you're all doing really, really well. It's always lovely to be uh, back at McField, lovely to see so many uh, familiar and friendly uh, faces. Uh, but if we are meeting for the first time, uh, let me introduce myself. My name's Pete, uh, and I'm a uh, speaker, evangelist, and media missionary from here in Suffolk. Um, and uh, my wife Beth and I are long-term friends and fans of McField, married just over there. Um, so it's always good to be back again. Um, and listen, wherever you're coming in from today, if you're a Mickfield regular, perhaps you're visiting with us today or, or maybe you're exploring faith for yourself uh, either in the room or uh, online. Um, wherever you 're coming in from this morning, it's great to have you here with us. Um, and today we're going to be looking at uh, <laughs> we're going to be looking at the subject of suffering, which is nice and light for a lovely sunny Sunday morning, isn't it? Um, but I want to take a look at the subject of suffering because it's always something. Uh, that's never too far from my mind uh, in the course of my job. Uh, and as you can see, I've in, or maybe you can't see it just yet, um, but I've entitled the talk uh, for today, uh, Shady World, Shady World. Uh, and the reason for that uh, is because uh, it's a, a little phrase that an old friend of mine used to use. Um, if you know a bit of my story, and I know many of you do, Um, When I was a little bit younger, I spent six weeks over in Fiji, um, spending time uh, training in evangelism, uh, spending some time specifically devoted to studying the scriptures and getting to know God uh, a little bit better uh, with 20 other interns from around the world. Uh, And during my time in Fiji, I met this guy called Walter. Uh, Walter was from the US, uh, from California specifically. Uh, And he was such a good guy. I really enjoyed hanging out with this guy, Walter. Uh, And me and him, in this group of interns, we were two of the older uh, guys uh, in that group. And so we kind of had a lot in common. Um, But one of the things we had in common was that we used to love sitting out on this uh, deck at the training center where we were living uh, and looking out over uh, the scenery as the sun would go down uh, in the evenings. Uh, And as Walter and I would often sit out in the cool of the day, uh, we'd often get into quite kind of deep philosophical conversations. Uh, Not on purpose, I think we were just both kind of built that way. Um, But I really, really enjoyed those deep conversations with Walter, uh, because some of his life experiences had uh, given him this way of speaking about life that was so uh, unique, Uh, he had a very different perspective. Um, but one of the things I loved about him was that, as we'd sit and have these conversations where we'd kind of put the world to rights, um, he always used to close those conversations by saying, it's a shady world. It's a shady world. And I kind of love that. Um, because as much as it might have been something that he just said as a little phrase, um, I actually think there's something about it that's really profound. You see, even though this world can be incredibly cruel, unjust and dark, where there is a huge amount of suffering, uh, God hasn't given up on us. And because of that, the light has not totally disappeared. And so actually, Shady World is quite an apt description of this life. Though the darkness can cast a shadow, it can never completely overtake us. Because as it says in John 1:5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So why, on this lovely sunny Sunday, have I decided to speak about the grim subject of suffering? Uh, Why do I want to talk about this shady world? Well, for context, uh, one of the things that I do in the course of my working life uh, as an evangelist is I make uh, content for the online space. Uh, I make evangelistic content uh, for those who are interested in exploring faith, for those who are outside of the church, maybe would call themselves skeptics or agnostics, uh, much like I was as a young man. Um, And I want to make some thought-provoking and free resources for people to explore if that is their desire. Uh, And within that work, one of the questions I inevitably get asked pretty regularly is why is the world so evil? why doesn't God seem to care about it? Why is the world so evil and why doesn't God seem to care about it? In essence, it's the question, is God asleep at the wheel? What is God doing about the suffering that exists in our world? And it's a totally fair question. Let's just be really honest about that. It's a totally fair question because we preach about a God of love that loves the world so much. And yet, when you go out there and see so much pain and injustice, the obvious question that would come to the mind of a non-Christian is, well, then where is this God of yours? You said he was good, but all I see is bad. You said he was light, but I see so much darkness. So where is this God of yours? Lost one of my dearest friends at 26, so I understand this question, not just from a philosophical point of view, but from a personal point of view as well. God, where are you? When the world is dark, chaotic, and unfair, and the world seems and feels like it's falling apart, God, where are you? And the reason that I want to talk about this is that in some senses, I, I want us to, to think deeply about this and try and come up with the best answer we possibly can to the question. Uh, And maybe for you, I don't know your circumstances, but maybe you're coming at this from a Christian point of view and saying, how can I describe this in the best possible way to those who may ask? Or maybe you're coming at this from a point of view of exploring faith and going, actually, yeah, that's a live question for me. Well, whichever camp you're in today, I hope you will find some value in this as we think about it together. And the first thing that I want to do is just read a really, really short verse to you from the Bible um, that I think hints at the answer. Uh, it's from Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 51. Uh, and it says this, uh, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, And if you're not someone who's familiar with the Bible or regularly finds themselves in church, uh, you might be asking the question, is that it? (laughs) Is that it? Is that all you've got for me? Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Don't even know what that means. Well, that actually is the perfect question. That's the perfect question. For context, this passage is taken from a section of Scripture where Jesus has just spoken to his disciples about the fact that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. It's taken from a section of Scripture where Jesus has just explained to his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem, where he'll be rejected and delivered into the hands of men. And of course, at this point in the story, his disciples don't totally understand what he's talking about but ultimately he was telling them that he's going to the cross where he's going to suffer and die and be crucified for the sake of the world. He's telling them about the awful things that lie in wait for Jerusalem and then a few verses later we read that wonderful line Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set out with determination nothing was going to deter him or stop him he set out resolutely, not just for Jerusalem, but for the cross. And I think this, this helps us answer this question in quite a profound way. Where is God when the world feels like it's falling apart? Well, he's on his way to the cross. And in the course of my online work, I'll often get asked by genuine seekers, you know, why is this God, this God of the Bible, why is he worth following? And primarily, my first answer to that is because, well, this is the truth. Not my truth, but the truth. And that's the most important thing. Because if we want to be people of integrity, then following the truth wherever it leads is a key ingredient. But alongside that answer, I like to explain to people that this God is worth following because he is the God who runs towards disaster, to help, to heal, to serve and in so doing, to reveal his loving character. Let me say that again, because it's a a mouthful. Our God is the God who runs towards disaster, to help, to heal, to serve, and in so doing, to reveal his loving character. Um, And I was reminded of this, again, in quite a uh, a kind of (laughs) 21st century kind of cultural way the other week, um, on date night, actually, Um, I don't want to be a show off about it, but a couple of weeks ago, I took Beth to the Stowe Market Regal. (laughs) Hey, one pet. Come on, support your local businesses, guys. I took Beth to the Stowe Market Regal. Whoa, yes. It still kind of failed, didn't it? I don't think the Regal's that bad, but maybe it's not the height of romance. Anyway, Beth and I, uh, we headed out there, and it was Beth's pick for the film. And we tend to rotate who's choosing. Um, And when it's my choice, I tend to pick kind of Guardians of the Galaxy meets James Bond. Uh, When it's Beth's pick, uh, she tends to pick something, Pride and Prejudice meets classic rom-com. And then we sort of take it in turns, you know, because then that way we get equal opportunity to sit through something we don't enjoy. Uh, So that's good, isn't it? Um, But anyway, on this occasion, Beth pulled it out of the bag uh, because she chose a film called Where the Crawdads Sing, uh, which was a film based on a book she'd recently read. Uh, We've got some slides from the film. Uh, on the screen, uh, and I have to confess, whilst it did have a little bit of a Pride and prejudice vibe, um, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I won't spoil it for you if you're currently reading it or planning on watching it, um, but it's basically a story of a young girl who grows up in a swamp town in North Carolina. And she's really looked down upon by the local town and alienated and hated by the town's people. But there's this brilliant bit in the film that really spoke to me, um, where this young girl visits this local convenience store uh, that's run by a Christian couple. That's them in the top right. And as the woman, well, the young lady, leaves the convenience store, this Christian couple, they watch her leave out of the window. And then the husband says to his wife, be careful with that girl. You know, her reputation kind of precedes her. He says, be careful with that girl. And then his wife turns to him and quotes some of the words of Jesus from the Bible. From Matthew 25. She says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then she follows it up with this great little line of her own. She says, it don't say nothing about be careful. Be careful. Can't say nothing about be careful. And I just love that because I think that's such a great picture of the God of the Bible, the God who steps down into the human story, steps down into the pain and the mess of real life, with radical love and mercy in His eyes, seeking out those who are hated, maligned, despised, and alone, with little regard for be careful. So what is this God like? Well, he's the God who runs towards disaster. Or maybe more accurately, he runs towards us in our disaster. To help, to heal, to serve. And in so doing, to reveal his loving character. And that love is so deep that be careful is not a priority. You know, when I became a Christian around the age of 20... Uh, I remember one of the most compelling things about Jesus for me in reading the New Testament was his compassion. I was really drawn in by his compassion. It was fascinating to me, beautiful. And I remember thinking (laughs) that his compassion, to be frank, was just not of this world. It was something more than that. But one of the things I've realized over the last 13 or 14 years of following Jesus is that his compassion is so much more beautiful than I ever realized at the time. Because it is a compassion that is not merely motivated by sympathy, but also by empathy. And they are not the same thing. Take a look at the screen.
1: So what is empathy? And why is it very different from sympathy? Empathy fuels connection sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Stating out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that feeling with people. And to me, I always think that empathy is this kind of sacred space where someone's kind of in a deep hole, and they shout up from the bottom, and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. uh huh No, you want a sandwich? (laughs) Uh, Empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I have, yeah, and we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful. And we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult Conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now, I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection.
0: Listen, Jesus is not the God who looks down from on high and shouts into the darkness, at least. He's the God who climbs down into the pit with us, and when we cry out, I'm stuck, it's dark, and I'm overwhelmed, he whispers back from that darkness, I'm here, I'm with you, fear not. And as we walk with him through our most difficult days, our surroundings may still seem dark, And that may not necessarily change. But his love lights a hope inside that cannot be snuffed out or overcome. And you know, when we think about Jesus, you know, we like to use all the popular titles, don't we? Prince of Peace, Lord, Saviour, King, Redeemer, Son of the Living God, Shepherd. And it's understandable, but at the same time, I think we should remember that one of his titles was also Man of Sorrows. And listen, when we're stuck in a dark place feeling overwhelmed, and when no one else gets it, they might nod and smile as though they do, but you know deep down they don't. Not only does God see you, but He knows what it's like. And He's not the God who says, at least, He's the God who says, I'm here. Where is God when the world feels like it's falling apart? Well, he's right there with you. And he doesn't just sympathize, he empathizes. Hebrews 4:15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So does God understand what it's like when life hurts like hell? Well, yeah, he empathizes with our weaknesses, having been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And what does he want from us when our surroundings are dark and we don't know which way to turn? Well, he encourages us to approach his throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. When you put it all together, the answer to the question, what is the God of the Bible like, becomes something like this. He's the God who descends into the darkness to comfort us in our distress. He's the God who not just sympathizes but empathizes with our pain because he was well acquainted with the most undeserved and unjust kind of suffering himself. And most crucially, he's the God through whom peace, forgiveness and freedom come. And if you want a picture to help you personify and encapsulate what I'm trying to get to, I would simply encourage you to think of the cross itself on which Jesus gave his life for you. You see, the cross is not a mistake, it's not a concession, it's not plan B, it's intentional in all of its ways, including, I think, the position that Jesus adopts on it. You think about it, it's, it's arms outstretched, it's arms open wide. That's the position of Jesus on the cross. He is crucified with arms outstretched, arms open wide. And it's the perfect image to demonstrate the heart of the Christian faith. Because it's an invitation to an embrace with God himself. And and here's a cool thing to think about. The image of Jesus on the cross, it must be one of the most famous images in human history. And it's the image of the God who draws near to us in our darkness drawing us near to him in his greatest moment of darkness. That through faith in him, we might have light, life, and ultimate hope that will not be extinguished. As I close, I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts to take away and maybe mull over in the week ahead. Uh, Firstly, for those of you who have been thinking about this from a Christian perspective... And thinking, you know, how can I seek to answer this question of suffering in in a deep way that helps? Uh, firstly, I would want to say to you this. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus, the best is yet to come. Uh, and I kinda hate that I've said that, because it sounds like one of those really cheesy Instagram quotes that you see. It seems like one of those really inspirational social media things that's just super cheesy. And I hate those kind of things. But the reason reason I'm bringing it is because it's true. As followers of Jesus, the best is yet to come. In fact, as followers of Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Because he's the God who promises to bring us through the suffering of this life into his perfect peace, into his perfect rest. With Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Secondly, uh, I want to speak to those of you. Actually, there is one more thing I want to say on that, if you're coming from a Christian perspective. And and that's to say, you know, sometimes when when we go through stuff, like when Phil died for me, I had so many philosophical questions flooding my head and my heart, creating a barrier between me and God, I think. I think a lot of the time having all the answers to all our questions is not actually that helpful because often all it does is lead to more questions that cannot be answered this side of heaven but I think there's something genuinely better than having all the answers to all of your questions and that's having the right answer to the most important question which is this one is God with you? And with Jesus, I think we get a resounding answer to that question. Because He is the God who runs towards us in our disaster to help, to heal, to comfort, and to bring us through the chaos and out the other side. Lastly, for those of you who are maybe coming from more of a seeker's perspective, and trying to understand this question of suffering in light of your own circumstances, perhaps, or in light of the things we see in the world which are just so unjust. As I've spoken today, you might have found yourself asking the question, well, if God cares so much about me, then why isn't he doing something to help me? Why isn't he doing something about my pain? Why isn't he doing something about the darkness? of this life? Why isn't he fighting for me? Why isn't he responding? I've prayed and prayed, why isn't he responding? I think one of the things we need to hold on to when we go through seasons like that, and we all do, is that his life is his response. His death is his response. And his resurrection and subsequent victory over Satan, sin and death is his response. You are cared for. And it's not just that he's doing something, it's that he's done something. He's on your side fighting for you. He has responded in the shape of a cross. And if you'll accept his gift of grace and what he's done for you and achieved through that cross... Then there will be a day when all this pain will be a distant memory, and He will bring you through it to the other side. It's a shady world, sometimes even pitch black. But out of the darkness, God speaks, and He speaks not from above, saying, "Bad luck, guys. Humanity's a mess." At least, no, He speaks from the depths, saying, "When you are at your lowest." I was at your side. I never left you. I never will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the God who runs towards us in our disaster. That you never left us. That you never will. That your love is the kind of love that gives that you were more than willing to come and give of yourself on that cross. And that when we are surrounded by darkness and feeling enveloped in weakness, thank you that we can come to the cross and remember all you've done for us. Remember that we have a future and a hope in you. And Lord, when there's things that we just don't understand about life and about our circumstances, please would you help us to hold deeply to that, that most important question, are you with us? And to remember that the resounding answer in Jesus Christ is yes, I am with you. And I will never leave or forsake you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.